Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Indeed, it is time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Here's your first question. I would like some advice on how to deal with my 11-year-old son who has recently taken to hitting himself on the head and saying he hates himself. This happens quite often when I correct his behaviour, especially when I ask him to turn off devices. He gets really annoyed. We are fairly strict on the amount of time he gets to play and also with the types of games he plays. I usually start by asking him a number of times to switch off, that his time is up. Eventually I make a comment like, why is it so difficult to turn it off and do as I ask, etc. And this seems to set him off. He recently told me that he feels bad about how he is rubbish at everything he does. He performs incredibly well at school. And when I delve deeper and asked him what, who makes him feel like this, he said it was me. He said he hates when I am cross with him and now I feel like I've made some bad parenting decisions and expected way too much. How can I fix this or help him to realise he's an amazing little boy? Well, I mean, it's never too late to really make him feel like that and encourage him to feel like that. But also bear in mind that he's 11 and he's in that preteen stage and there's a lot of, you know, feeling like you're invincible on one hand and that you're clueless on the other. So we do get these kind of flashpoints of emotional outburst at this age where you can feel like, oh, I've got this almost grown up child in my house. And no, that's quite toddler like. And that can happen in a matter of minutes. And it's a very confusing time. And also at his age, he's really looking to his peers, um, you know, for his lead, his behavior cues, what he should be doing, what he likes to be doing. The goal at this age is, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just saying at this age, it tends to be that I just want to fit in and be like everyone else. And that really jumps out to me, Sean, when we're talking about the types of games he plays. Now, assuming we're not talking about an 18 cert game or something he absolutely shouldn't be playing, but we're talking about another type of game that is within his age range, but maybe parents don't like, which is perfectly fine. But I wonder, are his friends playing that game? And does he feel that he's being denied an opportunity? And that can make it very difficult to hear you say you're not allowed and do this and do that. And then as a parent, because we've all we've all asked that question, why is it so difficult to listen to me? (laughs) You know, like every parent going, yep, I've been that one. So we know as adults, as soon as we have to ask that question. That, that there is no answer. There's no right answer, certainly. Yeah. But I'm wondering if he's hearing your question as a demand to explain something to you that he may not understand. You know, that you're putting in, well, why is it so difficult to do this? And if you're dramatically pausing as if there is an answer, a right or wrong answer to that, then it will be very difficult for him and very triggering. I As well, when children, particularly around this age, But when they're saying, you know, I hate myself or, you know, I hate this, that actually it can be useful to gently but firmly in a playful way, tone is everything with this to say, well, I wonder, is it that you hate yourself or you hate how you're feeling in this moment? Because that can be a really useful way to wonder about it. And it helps kids to realize that they are not their feelings, but they are a person with feelings. Mm, And I know that sounds like wordplay, but actually that's a pretty important distinction as he's coming into adolescence. Because when you, you know, when you're saying to him, look, you can't play this type of game and your time is up and switch it off. I'm wondering, do you explain to him why? I'm not saying that you justify what you're doing, but just say, you know, we agreed in this house that you'll have 30 minutes of game time and that time is up and you get to play again tomorrow. 
You know, so it's not a battle about what you can't do. It's just holding the boundary. Um, when he says to you, you know, he hates when you're cross with him. I wonder as a parent, can you say, you know, I may be cross about the behavior, but I'm not cross with you. And I really that needs to be true before you say it, by the way, if yeah. you're if you're listening to me, go, no, it is him. I'm cross with him, because if we're cross with behavior, how we reflect that to our children shouldn't sound like you did. You didn't. You should. It's that that behavior is not OK. That's not what we expect in this house. That's not how we talk to each other. That's not whatever it is. But it's about the behavior. So try to do a bit like this. I suppose what is working um even though I'm, I'm, I also am sure it was quite painful for you to hear him say, you're the one who makes me feel like this. In a way, I may have been lashing out at you when I said that, but something in that space allowed him to express himself. And I wonder, could you hold that space with him empathically and say, instead of personalizing, and I, I look, I know it sounds really personal. I don't like you. You're the problem. But could you say that must be terribly hard for you? And I wonder what I could do to support you. And if he's like, well, you could let me play video games all the time, or you could let me play the video game that I want. You could say, yeah, I, that would, I bet that sounds great, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to budge on that one, but I wonder how I can help you to better understand understand why not and under and do it in that way um don't minimize his feelings like don't be silly or that's not true or that's mean don't say that stick with him in the feeling and help him to own it and deepen his understanding about it the other kind of question i'd leave this parent with sean you're answering the question by leaving them with a question is how do you celebrate success at home? Like, how do you celebrate the good stuff? Because here's a kid that you are saying he does incredibly well at school, that he's an amazing little boy. Does he know that? And how would he how would he know that through you? How do you celebrate success? And I don't mean getting 10 out of 10 on the spelling tests. I don't mean the outcome, but how do you celebrate effort as a success in and of itself? And I wonder, is there a way of spotlighting that for him so that he gets reminded that he is a great kid? Yeah. Might there be a little bit of manipulation in here? Like, ah, yeah. My daughter's only five, but she occasionally goes, yeah. I'm sad, uh, which <laughs> means I want a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's sad and you know the way to make me happy, you know, yes. and behind that is I come to you with my feelings. See, I'm going to positively reframe that now, Sean, and say, but that's lovely because she's coming to you with her feelings. <laughs> and she knows that there are lots of feelings and ways to move from one feeling state to another. She Biscuits only has feelings if way. I don't give her a biscuit. That's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Biscuits are not the way. But I do think we have to help our children to express a range of feelings so that they know they're not made up of just one, but they have mm. lots of feeling states and we do move between one and another. I feel like, you know, this little boy may be holding himself to very high standards and not appreciating efforts and small wins. And it also, again, coming back developmentally, he is at an age where he's going to start battling with you. And it's our job to be able to withstand that battle. Now, that doesn't mean giving in, by the way. Boundaries are boundaries. And in all families, we have different kind of red line issues that, no, that's no go here. We're not budging on that. Fine. But explain that that's your no-go issue. Mm. Explain that, you know, I'm concerned about that game. I don't think it's good for you. And that, you know, maybe next year or when you're 13, we'll revisit it or at your next birthday, I'll sit with you and we'll play a game together and I'll see what it's like. I'm open to changing my mind. We don't want to be rigid. We want to be structured. And that means flexible and adaptable. Uh, yeah, interesting. Now, a text just came in from Sarah. This is on the, on, on the kind of the, the emotions uh, aspect of it. My daughter is 12, she says, and she's constantly bandying about the word hate. She hates me. She hates herself. She hates her older sister. Her sister was the same, but got past that phase. So I'm not as worried this time. 
it seems like they just discover the ultimate emotion and they use it to emphasise everything to garner attention as preteens. I think Sarah's absolutely right. And I also think when you relate that not just to hate or anger or sadness, everything is amplified at this age. My feelings are very loud and very deep and very intense because I'm trying to work out what triggers me, what activates me and how do I go solo on this and self-regulate my emotional arousal? Because you've been doing a great job co-regulating me. But now I've got to begin to learn how to manage all of those emotions and different levels of arousal myself. So, yeah, you can get quite a dramatic expression in terms of everything is a bit amplified. I'm the mother of two daughters and one son. My son is the youngest, uh, is now six years old. When he was a little younger, his world revolved around his older sisters. The three of them would play together constantly. In more recent times, the girls have started playing games with dolls and they don't seem to want to let him play with them. He doesn't seem to be making many friends at school either and constantly seems at a loose end. He has withdrawn into himself. Both girls say that he doesn't want to play with them, but I'm worried that he isn't able to relate to other kids and now has lost his two best friends as well because they've moved on to more girl-oriented pursuits. I'm not sure whether I should encourage the girls to include him more or whether he needs to be out on his own, but I feel like he's really suffering from this isolation and loneliness. Any advice? Ah, the poor little thing. I think, you know, like think about the girls as well here. He's the youngest at six. So I'm guessing they must be kind of seven, eight, nine, that type of age. And, you know, they're older, their play patterns are changing at this stage and they have to be allowed to express and pursue their own interests and how they want to play. And, you know, as a parent, just think about if, you know, think back yourself to when you're, you know, if you'd siblings, what it was like when your parent would say, play with your brother or play mm-hmm. with your sister or make sure you include them. You're, this is the last thing you want to do then because now you're ruining the game because you're inserting yourself into how I should play. I think you could do a little bit, you know, one on one with the girls at night. And, you know, I wonder what it was like for your brother today. He didn't seem to play much. What do you think? But I don't think I would force that. And the other thing that jumps out at me here is you're telling me about the girls like to play, but I'm not getting any sense of what he likes to play or how he likes to play or if he likes to play like I'm just not getting a sense of him and his relationship to play so think about that as well what does your son like to play and is he getting access to that type of play at home particularly if he has two older sisters maybe actually it's his play is also changing and what he'd like to do I know you're saying he doesn't he doesn't seem to be making many friends at school There's a couple of conditionals in there that I think would be worth clarifying. And that starts with talking to the teacher, you know, because is he making friends? And is he instead of looking at many, is he making any friends? Mm. And if he has one or two, you know, we, we tend to think our kids are only happy if they've lots of friends and if they're the center of a group and they're, you know, really active and popular. And actually, there's loads of ways to negotiate school. And some kids thrive on having one or two friends and they do really well but he's just not sounding happy in this letter either so what that's why I'd like some clarification I think go to the school see how is he getting on what do they observe does he have somebody to play with at break time in the yard how is he with other kids in the classroom and then put it to him would he like to have a garden play date just given the times we're still in would he like a garden play date with a pal of his choosing 
and you can have someone over for half an hour in the garden and he can have that play opportunity, but he's making the choice. So you're not doing it for him. He's saying, yeah, I'd really like to have, you know, whoever, Jamie over to play. And, you know, he and Jamie can play for the afternoon. So I think doing little things like that could help. And then the other thing as a family, I think you could do is family play and remind because your kids are going to move a little bit apart. And ultimately, you know, they sound like they're in a developmental range of each other. They'll find their way back together, but it could take a few years. So if you create a tradition of some family play where you all play together, parents, children, all of you, whoever's around, these are kind of more the merrier type of games. And just take a balloon that you blow up, put it on a blanket and um, pass it around between you, making sure everybody gives and receives to each other. So you pass it to one and make sure that they've passed it back and over and back to each other, naming everyone. Then you could have the balloon in the middle of the blanket and you say hot potato and everybody must toss the balloon up vigorously while trying to catch it on the blanket, that's key. And then cold potato, you barely wiggle it, barely wiggle it. And hot potato, make it big, 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 and cold potato, wiggle, wiggle. So you're bringing the energy up and back down and up and back down. Also then have everybody stand in a line facing each other's back. So facing forward, one behind the other. Bit of space between you and play a game with the same balloon of over, under. First person passes it over their head, second person under their legs and so on. When you get to the back, flip around and reverse it, send it back up. You could also put a balloon between bodies, uh, just trying to make your balloon prop work for you here and get a good few activities out of the one thing. Put the balloon tummy to tummy, no hands, and take it for a walk around the room and then pass it to the next you know, two people who take the balloon between their tummies and they take it for a walk. You could make it a race if you'd enough people. And just play something as simple and old school as what time is it, Mr. Wolf, outside, you know, where you turn your back and the, the kids behind you, they're they're at one end of the garden, you're at the other and you, they say, what time is it, Mr. Wolf? You say two o'clock, they take two steps. What time is it? And whoever gets to you first gets a big hug or whatever it is. So or a simple game of chasing things that you can do as a family. That's going to be really good from partly because it reintroduces play between your your children as siblings, introduces all of you playing together as a family and enjoying each other, but also is helping him to develop skills of playing in groups that will then carry over to playing with groups of kids in the schoolyard. So there's lots of pro-social benefits to that. Talk to the teacher, though, get a clearer sense and some clarity of school. Consider the play date that he chooses and do family play. I think that'll help a lot. Right, uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break. We'll have more uh, questions uh, with uh, Joanna after this break, including uh, my teenage son's new friends. They're a bad influence. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. Uh, we are halfway through our parenting slot with uh, uh, Joanna Fortune. Uh, Joanna. Somebody just texted her to say, uh, what's the name of the poo book? Uh, obviously not something we were talking about today, but uh, probably a question you're asked a lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the poo book is Everyone Poops. That's the one I'm assuming you mean yeah. uh, by Taro Gomi. It's a classic, guys. Just get it. You'll need it at some stage. Yeah. Now, uh, my 15-year-old son is a good kid and has always been quite shy and obedient. But he's been acting up quite a bit and has something of a defiant attitude towards me, his mother in particular. I remember being a teenager myself, and although he is my eldest, I know that this comes uh, with the territory to a degree. 
the problem is, is that he's recently started hanging out with a new group of boys and I think they are having an adverse impact on him. I'm not a particularly strict parent and understand that kids of his age are likely to push boundaries, but I have caught one of the groups smoking down the village. My son says he doesn't like this particular boy and he's more of a friend of a friend, but I worry that this is the type of thing he's being exposed to when hanging out with these boys. If I'm honest, I don't want him hanging around with them and I'm sh- and I'm aware it's quite a sensitive and potentially explosive situation. If I forbid or confront their parents, what should I do? Yeah, don't forbid, don't confront their parents, don't demonize the friends. You know, this is often something and it's of course it's coming from a really protective place. But we have to focus on your son's emotional resilience, the moral compass he has developed uh, under your influence. And you've been influencing him since, you know, infancy. Also put this in the context of those five adjustments in adolescence. I've mentioned them before, so I won't go into detail today. But a lot of that is about estrangement, you know, establishing that I'm nothing like you. And so I take my behavioral and style, fashion, whatever it is, emotional cues from my peer group. I'm also experimenting with new tastes, new friends, new things. I'm pushing boundaries. I'm testing limits. All of that is concerning, worrying and really triggering for a parent. But it is developmentally normal for a teenager to do it. And I think, you know, something, you know your son. That's very clear in this letter. Look, I know he's a good kid. I know that he doesn't do this. But also you're letting him know I'm aware that some of your friends are doing things that I wouldn't be comfortable with you doing. And really what we're talking about is peer influence in this and how 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 strong it is, how effective it is, and is it enough to derail your influence thus far? And I suppose negotiating peer influence is really about, you know, developing that balance between knowing how to be yourself while also knowing how to fit in and be accepted by your peer group without compromising your own moral standards. That's not easy. Mm. You know, that's a really challenging task in adolescence. And the balance can be so fragile that sometimes I'm going to get it right and sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. But negative peer influence, which is what this parent is really kind of inferring that this group I don't approve of because they're negative, it can actually, when we think about what's a negative peer influence, it can be misconstrued, Sean, as an image that comes to mind of, you know, the idea of someone forcing your teenager to do something that they actively don't want to do. That can happen. I'm not saying it can't. But more often than not, it's that your teenager will choose to do something that goes against what they truly think and believe and want to do just so that they can be accepted and part of the group that they're trying to fit in with. And because it's a reluctant choice on their part, they may then afterwards experience like really big, even overwhelming levels of guilt, even shame afterwards, because they're trying to reconcile who they are with what they may have just done or said that could be trying smoking or trying drinking when they know they shouldn't or it's not something they should do. But I do think when it comes to peer influence, try we all as parents now and, you know, even if you're not a parent, but you are an important adult in teenagers lives like a sports coach or a teacher, we have to be aware of how much of our irritation about the influence of friends like a friend seems to be having on our teenagers is really about our desire for our teenagers to assert themselves and make choices that would express who we know them to be rather than mirroring a friend's actions or Mm. behaviors. So it can be that, you know, I'm demonizing the friend, but actually I'm frustrated that my teenager isn't doing their bit. Um, But, you know, teenagers look 
they may well copy some of the things that their friends wear or do, but don't underestimate the influence you've had um, and how that's going to play out. I think the key here is to be calm, be tolerant, be available, be open because you're still influencing your teenager. It's harder to get heard in those soundproof walls of adolescence, but you are still there. So be interested in his friends. Don't demonize them. In fact, I'd even encourage you to invite some of them over to your garden, your house, let them order a pizza, let them spend time together under your roof so that you see them. Because sometimes kids are seen as a bad crowd because mm. of reputation. And actually, when you spend time getting to know those kids, they're not bad kids. Sometimes they're kids who've had a bad time. They're kids who've had a lot of challenges and there's a lot of good in there. And I think we can run the risk of saying that's the bad crowd. This is the good crowd. Get interested in what interests your son, and that includes his friends. So I, I just think developmentally, yes, of course, he's doing this. Trust your parental instinct, but get show that you're interested in his friends as well. Uh, Paddy texted in to say, I was this bad influence kid. Mm. It was gas because my friend was such a loose cannon at the time. He was smoking, drinking and basically acting the maggot. I was boisterous but basically a very well-behaved kid. I never started smoking, wasn't drinking until years after this. His mother forbade him from hanging out with me and yeah. chatted to my parents about it. She wouldn't believe that I was grand and as friendship sort of it just petered out. Be wary of your assumptions is the lesson, I guess, is Paddy. I fully agree with Paddy, you know, and maybe it's in my line of work. I see a lot of those kids and actually when you're talking to them and getting to know them, you're like, these are good kids. These are good kids who've had a tough time. And there's this a lot of people are making assumptions about how they look, how they dress, the fact that they hang out, maybe where they come from, who they come from. We can make all kinds of assumptions. And I think as Patty's story just points out, you know, we worry about other kids being a, a bad influence instead of going, oh, my goodness, is my kid the bad influence? Yes. Um, you know, we have blind spots when it comes to our children, too. But I think as you know, you you are his influencer as well. I don't mean like in that kind of social media way, but you're, you are his greatest influencer um, at the moment. You're his constant. And I, the friendships will will evolve and develop. But he's holding his own right now. He's telling you, look, he's not really my friend. He's a, on the periphery. I don't do that. Trust him. Until you've reason not to. Yeah. My six-year-old daughter is a very hyperactive little girl. We all adore her, but she really knows how to get under my skin. I often have to bring her to the shops with me and she'll scream the place down and throw a massive tantrum if I won't pick out, uh, if I won't let her pick out sweets. This is one of the many ways she likes to cause a scene. I was raised with a wooden spoon and I'm obviously not going to do that, but I find my daughter just won't listen to my stern tone of voice. In fact, it seems like she enjoys getting a reaction. So we don't know how to discipline her. What should I do? Oh, it's a tricky one because that kind of, you know, dramatic tantruming. I, I want it. I want it. It's designed to elicit a response. It's mm. designed to embarrass us into buying the sweets just to make it end. Um, so it is it is it ha at times it has that effect. We all as parents have to pick our battles. So if anyone's listening going, yeah, I did cave and buy the box of Smarties, you didn't derail your child's development by doing that. It's if you get it mostly right most of the time. But discipline is there to teach behavior rather than punish it. That's where the wooden spoon thing isn't effective because you don't learn about the behavior you should be doing 
if it's only the behavior you shouldn't be doing that gets punished. So you want to have a think about how do I want her to behave and how have I communicated that to her? And could I communicate it in a clearer way, a more direct way? And at her age, that would mean playing it out. You know, you could get the little characters out and play out going to the shop play out the little kid looking for sweets and the parent one saying no and the child not having the tantrum but saying okay we'll wait and we'll get sweets another day it's okay to look at the sweets but I'm not getting any today and you play it out as you want it to happen and you play it out the same way over and over again over a period of days so that she begins to internalize that as her new default when she's there because in those moments in the shop you the parent are the one who's getting activated because you feel like everybody's looking at you, everybody's mm. judging you. It's mortifying. Um, actually, people aren't looking at you. They're just glad it's not them because everyone has been there. <laughs> yes. You know, hold that in mind, too. Um, but how do you self-regulate in those flashpoints? Like how do when you're getting embarrassed and you're, oh, my goodness, and this is awful and I'm getting now so angry. How do you ground and self-regulate and calm yourself? And if your answer is, well, I don't, I end up dragging her out of the shop and then we're all yelling in the car. You have to find ways of managing your own arousal in those situations because she's going to take her behavioral cues from you. And if she finds that you stay calm and grounded and that her tantruming in that moment is not effective in changing the outcome, she will change the way she's doing it too. Um, because when you're saying she likes to cause a scene, I have to challenge that because she's six. And it's not that she likes to cause a scene. She wants the sweets. She feels that she needs the sweets. She feels she's entitled to the sweets. And her that then comes out in this demand that follows all of that. And the scene is how, how you see it, not her. She's she, I guarantee, couldn't care who's looking at her in mm, that moment. Yeah, she just wants the sweets and she believes. But they're right there. You have money in your hand. It is unreasonable for you not to buy those sweets for me. That's what that's about for her. So you again, want to go back and say, look, using that ACT model we've talked about before, acknowledge the feeling. I know you really wanted the sweets. Communicate a limit. It is never OK to behave like that in a shop outside or anywhere else and target an alternative. When you feel frustrated and disappointed because I've said no, you can hold that feeling and we'll think about it in the car or we can run around when we get home or we can do something else with it. But you target an alternative behavior for her or you use if and then if you have that tantrum in the shop, then we don't get to go to the park. If you come into the shop with me calmly and back to the car, we get to go straight to the park. So if and then and it's on her and if she has the tantrum, you don't go to the park. And when she complains, it's well, you made a choice not to go to the park today and tomorrow you get to choose again because we're beginning. She's still only six. We're beginning to encourage her to self-regulate. Go with the ACT. You're upset, but that's not OK. Here's what you can do instead type of approach. Mm. all the time focusing what do you want me to do not not to do yeah uh though uh, given what you've all described then uh this parent will have to be you know come uh, uh, come to terms with the fact that there might be a few screaming sessions when they go down to tesco or wherever uh, oh yeah. yeah yeah that's just the way it is uh rob says yeah i want the sweets i need the sweets i feel that i'm entitled <laughs> to the sweets but my wife never supports my decision to buy them perhaps joanna can have a word with her uh we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll introduce a new marriage gu uh, guidance course uh maybe another part of the program joanna thanks a million uh as ever that was uh joanna fortune there you are listening to the moncrief show on news talk we're going to take a break after that the tulsa massacre moncrief on news talk Drivers of Ireland, it's now or never. 
when you want the great value cover that only comes with Super Value Car Insurance, giving you a 10% online discount and shopping vouchers with your policy. That's a great deal for the cover you need anyway. All it takes is one big click or call. Just visit supervalue.ie slash insurance or call 0818 and our Super Value team will save the day. So, give us a spin. Terms and conditions apply. Vouchers include two 10 euro or 40 euro spend. This car insurance is underwritten by AXA Insurance DAC. Super Value Financial Services DAC, trading as Super Value Insurance, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.